Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Caroline Garcia upsets Svantec en route to the title in Warsaw. Sinner is the winner in Umag. And Emma Raducanu teams up with Dimitri Tersinov for her next coaching trial. Kim, today is the 1st of August and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. We've had another batch of tournaments on the ATP and WTA tours. Yannick Sinner coming through yet again against Carlos Alcaraz in Umag. We have Emma Raducanu as well teaming up with Tursunov on a trial basis. And of course, Kim, your favourite, Caroline Garcia, upsetting Igor Sviantek, world number one, in her in her home country, in her home tournament, en route to her ninth singles title. So uh, you must be pretty happy about that. Can I just say, without wanting to sound too smug, but I did sort of predict this happening, <laughs> didn't I? When she won Roland Garros doubles, I said this would be the start of something. Oh, here we go, and here we go. I, I'm, not... I'm banning the word renaissance for the rest oh, of the episode. That's so mean. I can't say the R word. Oh, okay. The, there is a virtual like renaissance swear jar uh going on for this episode any anything out of your like imaginary tennis weekly salary is going straight into the jar <laughs> okay fair enough i'll have to get my thesaurus out and look for <laughs> other words uh other than that word her resurgence oh no I that's another r word r, yeah. revitalization yeah. they all begin with <laughs> r's so uh <laughs> yes um but it was very um uplifting to see her win and I think uh well we'll get onto this later but she's now got three titles on each of the surfaces so mm. she's a very good you know balanced all-rounder uh which is nice uh from a statistical point of view um but yeah lots to talk about as per um let, I mean should we start with the uh let's start with the WTA tournaments Joel because um as we've just been alluding to Caroline Garcia is back to winning ways again uh with this sort of new event in Warsaw 250 event which i believe mm. you said uh Iga Shvontek's dad basically funded and, and put on yeah it's uh it's a it's an it was an odd one i mean it was an odd one when it, it came out because it's just a clay tournament in july and it to me feels very very odd you know having you know been familiar i think with the you know the atp and the yeah, wta schedules for me i'm always a bit suspect about clay tournaments that are going in into really kind of late july when the you know the hard court swing in you know the united states is just around the corner and you know for me this tournament was you know it was rolled out for for Igor Svantec. i think you know she's a world number one great to kind of promote tennis in you know, her home country in in poland in warsaw and yeah, her dad has a big role in this tournament. And 
it felt very much Shiontech was compelled to play it on that emotional level on the on the fam given the family links but I've got to be honest Kim I don't think she had absolutely any right to be to be playing this tournament a 250 world number one I think she actually admitted that she had been playing on the hard courts practicing on the hard courts before the tournament so why why go and try and disrupt your your you know your your training block your training pattern you know getting ready for the bigger tournaments coming up in uh, you know in the United States obviously with the, the US Open in mind it felt a, although it felt like I understand it from the family emotional point of view I think from a training point of view I was very surprised that Shiontech decided to play this. Yeah, I, I liked how you sort of referred to it before we started recording as a. Uh, sh- it should have been a Shiontech victory parade. I think maybe in <laughs> yes. her mind it was almost like mm. this is kind of an exhibition. I'm just playing in front of my home fans, like as the world number one. The bottom half of that draw probably would have felt like a little bit of an exhibition. Well, yeah, it, w- it wasn't the strongest field. I don't think anyone's going to argue too too much about that. But um, I mean. Fair dues to Caroline Garcia. She came through that match against Fiontech mm. in the quarterfinals, which, you know, arguably that was kind of the final, I suppose. Um, yeah. Given Garcia's recent form, I think she did look always like the most likely player perhaps to come out of that top half, apart, you know, aside from Fiontech. Um, You know, it's three set, three setters, six, four in, in the third, Garcia coming through. And regardless of, of where Garcia's like form is at compared to, you know, where she has previously been, which is, you know, world number four winning premier titles on the tour. Like getting a win over a world number one, you know, even if the world number one isn't perhaps completely invested in in this tournament um, or playing, you know, her sort of most committed tennis, it's, it's a win. It's a great win. You always want to get a win over the world number one. So I think that gave her confidence going through because, you know, mm. semis and finals, she, she won pretty comfortably in straight sets, both of those matches. So I think... Um, very pleased for, you know the way she kind of made her way through the draw and you know it's a, it's a 250 but it's uh it's certainly a hell of a lot better than where she mm. was a few months ago um yeah her ranking was right down at 79 in the world which is her lowest ranking in the last eight years and so since that point you know since that kind of nadir she's um yeah right coming right back up where she needs to be gradually yeah because because we because you know it's funny because i think you know even you know, a few a few seasons ago, pre-COVID, she was really struggling, I think, on the tour, you know, even just to get kind of consecutive match wins together. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it felt, you remember, it was all, it was, it was all linked back to that Andy Murray tweet when he was like, you know, watch this, watch this girl on the tour, Caroline Garcia, she's going to be amazing. And then it, she sort of became like a little bit of a like her joke or the you know the butt of the joke in terms of oh I can't believe what Andy Murray said about Caroline Garcia because you know she wasn't she just was not in a good place she wasn't playing that well and it's amazing to think how much she has progressed and come back over this season and you know we saw a bit of a glimpse of that um, you know for British fans at, at Wimbledon when she defeated Emma Raducanu but she's really kind of kicked on since there and this was a really impressive run to the final from her. As you said, for me, I agree that the the final felt like that quarterfinal against Iga Svantec. And the way she came out and played that first set, Kim, to breadstick 6-1, to breadstick Iga Svantec on, on a really big court, a packed court, you know, with a, a home crowd there. I mean, I, I, would, I would go as far to say that was probably one of the best matches she has played in her career you know watching the highlights she was just very very on it from the start did not let Svantec 
get into any sort of tempo. And although, you know, she did, you know, Shiontek did fight back again. It was just impressive, I think, to see Garcia, who I, you know, have seen in the past, you know, just kind of fall away quite, quite easily to come back after that kind of second set blip, which she lost 6-1 to win, you know, as you said, in, in the third 6-4. It was, um, you know, it was a very, very good win for her. And it will it gave her so much confidence, I think, just to go through Paulini and then bog down in the final. As you said, very much, uh, very, very kind of one-sided, but it's nothing to sneeze at. And, you know, defeating the, the world number one, a very, very good week for, for Caroline Garcia. Yeah, the, the French bakery was uh, going nicely. Uh, <laughs> we did have a, a brief opening from the Polish bakery, but then, uh, mm. yeah, uh, Caroline Garcia came through. And um, I mean, like, I feel that, can, can we blame Andy Murray to some extent for that tweet? Do you think his, that one tweet? <laughs> is that tweet... so far in the past now? <laughs> yeah, is it so, f- we've we've almost kind of forgotten about it, but it definitely does feel like there is some sort of, our word some sort of resurgence going on at the moment i mean she's won 18 of her last 21 matches and it's interesting to read that you know we we've spoken about it before the fact that you know she, up till you know around this time i think last year she had very much worked with her dad you know her coaching setup was her and her dad and they had been through absolutely everything from you know when she was a junior but she decided to kind of take a really brave decision flip the script and kind of part ways um, with kind of family ties in the, in the coaching setup. And now it seems to really, really be paying dividends. Yeah, I think that was that was long overdue. It was much needed just to mm. freshen up your coaching setup. And, you know, her dad had obviously done a, a good job, but there comes a point where you sort of have to, well, maybe not have to, but I think with every player's career, it, it, it reaches that point where you, you need some fresh blood in. And uh, I think it's obviously paying dividends and she's uh you know she's got a a fantastic game like great serve it's just putting it all together actually executing it and when she does you know we know that she can beat the very best players and I think she's now the WTA ace leader uh for the tour so far she's taken that mantle off uh Rabakina so uh her serve been you know working very nicely over the last couple of weeks and uh yeah we'll see what she does moving on to the hard courts as I said you know she's won titles on all surfaces so her game is very adaptable for regardless of the surface so I don't see why she wouldn't be able to continue this this good form going onto the American hard courts I agree all I would say Kim is if I'm the tournament organizer for the Poland Open I'd be trying to make a a application to change it from a clay event I think to a hard court mm. event you know we saw we saw there was a hard court event in uh, in Prague that we'll, we'll come on to in a sec but yeah for me it just felt very very strange having you know, a clay tournament like this so late on in July, just so close to the, you know, the hardcore season. We've got San Jose already starting, uh, you know, across the, the Atlantic. It felt a very, very strange decision to have this there. I mean, do you have any issues with these kind of late clay tournaments? Are you kind of fine with it, given that, you know, there are going to be some players who will feel like, actually, this is an opportunity for me to make the most on the surface I'm most comfortable on versus you know, the hard courts where they, they might struggle a little bit more. Yeah, I guess for some people, these are the sort of bread and butter tournaments. They love mm. the clay. They just want to like stay in Europe. That They're not going off to the yeah. American hard courts. So for them, it's like, why can't we have a tournament like on yeah. the clay? You know, so I guess... But Shiontek isn't one of those people. She's like, she's the world number one. It's like, I'm going to be playing the 500s and the 1000s. Mm. It just felt very... 
just felt very strange. I guess if her dad's putting it on, you'd think she'd been like, well, hard court <laughs> would be a much more useful surface, dad. So mm. maybe they'll refine that for next year. Yeah, yeah. So that, that is a good point. I would point. put that in my condition. Eh? It's like, hey, if you want me back there, change it from clay to change it from clay to hard. Yeah, replicate the exact court conditions of the US Open. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we, talking of hard courts, uh, we did have the Prague Open, as you said, which is another 250. Um, and this was a nice, a nice story, nice winner here because we had um, a home player winning in her home country and that's Marie Buzkova. And it wasn't just her, her winning, you know, at home. It was her first WTA uh, single title ever of her career. I'm surprised by that. I just kind of assumed she'd already won one uh, because, mm, you know, yeah. she did quite well at Wimbledon. She got to the yeah, quarterfinals recently, actually beat Garcia in the fourth round to get there. So um, they're both obviously still playing well after after Wimbledon. And I mean, this final was was quite a foregone con- conclusion. Uh, mm. Six love, six three over Anastasia Potapova. So yeah, Marie Buskova, um not, not actually having to do an awful lot, though, because I think no. um, you, you showed me a really interesting stat. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, kids. Yesterday. <laughs> this was not a final, I don't think, for the uh, for the spectators. Potapova hit 44 unforced errors in that match. So and I'm not I'm not saying like anyone could have gone on the court and just got the ball back in play and, and Potapova would have beaten herself. But certainly, I think Bushkiver, all she needed to do was... Have a, you know, I think she did. She did it quite well, but she didn't really need to have a, an attacking game. It was all quite defensive, and I think that was again typified by another odd stat: uh, Bushkovic hit zero winners to become champion. Um, which for me, I, I, I mean, I honestly can't recall ever, you know, seeing that in in, in a final. But I, again, I think it just said, it just shows. I just think Potapova turned up, and I think although she is a quite a a handy player on her day she does have that tendency i think to to beat herself and the number of unforced errors she was throwing in i mean bushkiva was just kind of absolutely lapping it up three points left right and center and it was a real easy easy job in the end for bushkiva she didn't really need to exert i think too much too much skill really she didn't need to go after the points because i think she just felt like a you know an unforced error was just around the corner from from potapova so don't know if you know if Potapova was you know nervous or was I don't know but yeah it wasn't uh she, she definitely did not bring her a a game or to be honest even her b game to that final which I think she'll be obviously a little bit disappointed about yeah I mean we know she can play a lot better than that she beat Contivate one and one yeah. in the uh what the quarter the quarterfinal so she's had some good wins uh throughout the week but prior to that she also won the doubles title um later that day so she i assume would have hit more balls in court during that match to uh to win that with with yana sizikova uh but yeah buskova she she did what she had to do uh which is all, all you can do on the day and you know she came through in straight sets which was not tournament. a lot kim yeah, not a lot on that particular occasion. <laughs> she did have a tougher semi-final against mm. uh, fellow Czech Linda Noskova, who incidentally, I think, was the only the second player born after 2004 to reach a WTA semi-final. The other player being, can you guess, Joel? Coco Goff. Coco Goff, yes, exactly. So very young, uh, young Czech player there. This tournament, I think, is pretty much uh, normally won by a, a Czech player. Obviously, they've got they've got so mm. many of them. And uh, I think Buskova is the fifth Czech player uh, since the tournament began, I think, about seven years ago to win. So they're used to having someone at home win. It wasn't Krachikova, who perhaps would have been the more likely champion. She she went, went out in the second round to Hibino of Japan. But yeah, Buskova, she's got 
that that title duck off her back. She's uh, our fifth new uh, WTA champion on the tour so far this year. Uh, incidentally, alongside Potapova, who did win a title earlier in the season. So she's joined that uh, exclusive 2022 club. Yeah, it's uh you know it's a it's a you know it's an obviously it's a nice club to be in and for Potapova you know we you spoke very quickly about the the win she had against Contevate the top seed in the quarterfinals 6-1 6-1 that was again I think it just shows how hot and how cold I think Potapova can be in the same tournament and I think that's going to be her kind of issue and a challenge kind of going forward is she's got to have that level of, of consistency. And um, although she was able to bring it against against Contivate, it just wasn't working in, in the final. And uh, yeah, she'll be disappointed. But, you know, again, good tournament for her getting to the getting to the final itself is an achievement. And I think a lot of these players, unlike, you know, the players in the in the Poland Open, the fact that this is on a, on a hard court has already given them, I think, a little bit of a head start, you know, when it comes to going over to, you know, the United States and, and getting onto the, you know, onto the American hards. I think this will do them a bit of a service. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's a nice, I guess, transition, you know, at mm. home in Europe, off you go to the States soon. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Busker keeping up her good form, as I said, for after Wimbledon and uh, Contivate, Kind of getting a few a few wins under her belt as well. She's had a obviously we alluded to this a couple of weeks, well the, over the last few weeks or so, uh, post COVID, getting back into the groove uh, ever so slightly. Although I don't have high hopes for uh, for the hard courts. I, I mean, I don't have high hopes compared to where she was at the latter stages of last season, where she was just you know the dominant force in in the game. Um, but yeah. We'll we'll see how how it all goes uh, as the WTA tour moves over to the states. Um, but the the men are some of the men are already in the states. Uh, let's let's go to Atlanta, Joel, because we had a hard court event out in Atlanta. This is the event uh, that was just dominated by Australian and American players. And um, funnily enough, we got surprise, surprise. I know. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, we uh, we got some Australian champions. In fact, they did a complete sweep of the singles and the doubles. Um, we had Alex de Menor winning the singles and we had Kyrgios and Kokonakis getting their second mm. doubles title together uh, of 2022 in, in an all-Australian final as well. So uh, what did you make of, of what we saw out in Atlanta, Joel? Yeah, it was, um, you know, great for, for de Menor, straight sets in the final against Jensen Brooksby, 6-3, 6-3. I think you know what I noticed in in that final, watching it on on TV, was I think with Dimonor, I think we just know him as a, a speed demon. We know him for his you know his footwork, his movement around the the court, and um, actually in in this final, yes, that was all on show, but certainly when he was getting to the ball, and you know certainly from the back of the court, you know his forehand, I think, has really kind of developed over the last over the last six months or so. I think he's added some more some more speed to it I think it goes through the air a little bit quicker and I think it's a little bit hotter to handle actually and I think that's been the issue with with de Menor on the tour is that he just didn't feel like he had a secret weapon in terms of his shots and it was sort of like yes you've got kind of great footwork and agility and you can get to the ball with with lots of time but I think there was a question around 
was he doing you know enough with it once he he got there and I was impressed with him you know in the final given yeah his shot making from the back of the court and although I think Brooksby plays a similar sort of game another player I think doesn't really you know he's still quite young and, and still developing but I don't really would say think he has a a shot that you could say is his x factor I think there are certainly a few shots he could actually be working on like his his serve but I think that I think just they both had very similar tactics, but Dumanor was just basically able to execute on a level that, that Brooksby wasn't able to deal with. And I was very pleasantly surprised by how well, yeah, I think uh, Dumanor's ground strokes have come on, certainly since last year. Yeah, I think, um, you, you know, Kyrgios had pulled out of the, the singles as well. So, I, mm. I mean, you, you were saying that perhaps Kyrgios would have been favourite to, to, to win the singles. But I th- mm. obviously, I mean, regardless of what he's up to, Alex Dumanor... Very, very consistent player. Like perhaps he doesn't have a, that that killer weapon, but you know, we, as you said, he's known for his speed and movement around the court, and um, you, you know, able to to nullify a lot of um, opponents' weapons. And yeah, really impressive week from from ADM. Um, you know, this is he's, he won this title a couple of years ago, so he's uh, yeah, lifted he's the trophy one, once more. Yeah, he, he loves it in Atlanta. Uh, he absolutely <laughs> loves the courts here, and and good week for Brooksby as well. You know home event he does really well uh, on American soil I think he has had less success overseas but American hardcore Jensen Brooksby is where we've seen him yeah was where we've seen him he is right at home isn't he I feel like we we, yeah we just obviously we have he's yeah he plays he's a he's a good tennis player but yeah he's not he's had a quite a sort of underwhelming or you know I think last couple of months in in Europe and I think he'll be looking at the you know the hard courts here um, you know, as, as feeling right at home, really kind of familiar and, you know, he'll be looking to kind of play his game and it, it served him, you know, it served him for the majority of tournament really, really well. You, you know, he picked up some very good wins against, uh, you know, Mackenzie McDonald, Tiafo in the, in the semifinals and, and John Isner also in, in the quarters. Um, but yeah, in the, in the final, I just think he just came up against a player who had a very kind of similar game style to him, but was just kind of executing it on a on a better level. And I, I do wonder if Jensen Brooksby is like Alex de Menor in the sense that he's like Alex de Menor maybe a few seasons ago when he didn't have an X factor. And I think, you know, for me, Brooksby is in one is in is still in that category of what what's this guy gonna what's this guy got that is really gonna kind of propel him, I think, up the rankings. I think he can only go so far with what I've seen of his game at the moment. Yes, he can you know, disrupt players and he has that variety and he can play with different sorts of, of rhythm that their opponents might not be able to get a, a grip of. But in terms of his, his shots, I still think there's a little bit of work that can be done there. Do you think compared to, I'm just looking at looking at this draw as a good example, like we've got the, the Tommy Pauls of the world, the mm. TFOs, the Nakashimas, where do you think Brooksby sits within that kind of cohort of, of fellow Americans? Oh, good question. I mean, you know, for me, I think there are some of those players have shots that they can rely on to kind of get them through matches and and win them, you know, and win them tournaments. I wouldn't necessarily say Brooksby has that in his his locker at the moment. I think he's just hoping that his opponent just is unsettled by the different sorts of spin and speeds he can, he can put on the ball. So I think his game is arguably a little bit more one-dimensional than some of those kind of players you, you, you mentioned. And I think he's going to need to add to that in order to, I think, personally for me, bring him into a conversation with like a Nakashima. I think Nakashima is more 
well-developed based on, on what I've seen from him. I certainly don't think it's not unattainable for, for Brooksby, but I, I think that there are juniors out there who's, it's certainly in the Americans, who I think maybe their game is a little bit more developed and Brooksby, I think, needs to kind of recognise that and think about how he can evolve his game a bit more. Yeah, and there was a lot of conversation this week about Ben Shelton as well, mm. who's a very young American. He's the NCAA current singles champion and he was given a wild card into the Atlanta Open um yeah look quite a bit of chat around him as, as a kind of promising young talent uh, for, for American tennis and he got his first ATP win over um it was Ram Kumar Ramanathan um Indian mm. qualifier so yeah and then he then he lost to Isna in a, in a well Three three set match, a couple of tie breaks, third set tie break, as you do against John Isner. But um, obviously, perhaps perhaps one to watch. Uh, and another another perhaps quite promising yeah. American talent. Yeah, he uh, looks very interesting. Uh, watched some of the highlights of of his match against Isner. Hit an unbelievable running passing shot down the line which I think just announced himself to uh to the crowd in that match against uh Isner but yeah he's a, a player who's come through the kind of college system like for British fans like Cam Norrie and uh certainly be interested to see how he transitions onto the tour I think another player who obviously a lot like uh, Nakashima Brooksby feel will feel right at home on these these hard courts and I hope tournaments in the future will give him wildcards to kind of showcase his talent because he picked up his first ATP tour win pushed John Isner who has a really good record in Atlanta really really far went to the final set tie break so yeah I think he's a really exciting talent to watch I think he's got a very good serve and he loves Kim to play with the the red headband his his headband was giving me kind of Milos Raonic peak peak Milos Raonic kind of vibes from uh from a few seasons ago because uh he's got like kind of the the longish hair and the uh the red headband which I thought was a little bit old school which reminds me where is Milos Raonic these that days? is very true is he injured maybe he's as he handed on the, the headband to, to Ben to Ben Shelton I maybe. hope he washed it first but um yeah <laughs> I, I I think he must be must be out but he you know well we'll see um and just a note on the doubles as I mentioned yeah the Kyrgios Gokinakis winning. They beat uh, Kubler and John Pierce in the final. So an all Aussie affair. I bet all the Kyrgios fans absolutely love that <laughs> out in Atlanta. Um, yeah, so a, a full sweep for for Aussies, um, which I think happened. The last time that happened on, on the tour was in 2014 when Bernard Tomic won uh, in Bogota and Sam Groth and Chris Guccione wow. uh, won the wow. doubles. So that's an interesting stat that the ATP... Uh, <laughs> you know cracked up for uh for tennis fans this past week it, it feels like the the double scene for the australian tennis is really blossoming yeah. wimbledon um, champions at the moment wimbledon champions uh Kyrgios and, and kokinakis as well australian open um, champions yeah yeah feels very much in in rude health at the moment yeah well they're they'll be having to i mean how will they pick their their davis cup doubles pairing that's mm. that's a pretty tough decision well i don't think Kyrgios likes to play davis Cup. i don't think he plays i don't think he's played for australia for quite a while uh, australian listeners correct me if i'm wrong but that feels like something that maybe they need to to rectify at some point because uh well, maybe they don't. Maybe they can just get in. Uh, well, John Millman and Purcell, Ebden. I mean, who, Purcell, who do you sorry, go Purcell for? Purcell and Edmundy. Yeah. That's what, yeah, yeah. I mean, who do you, I don't know who their their top doubles pairing would be. Yeah. They'd have to yeah fight it out. I feel Purcell. like the crowd would get more riled up for Kokinakis Kyrgios versus Ebden Purcell. But yeah, maybe maybe they should just have. I'd love to see that as a doubles match. Actually, see who's the who's the better Aussie pair. I mean, I'm just thinking of Purcell and his. Uh, 
his his hairstyle. I mean, would the crowd not get rifled <laughs> up for that? You know, his, his classic looks. Very, very true. Um, very, very true. I mean, anyway, yeah, that's enough about Australian doubles. But <laughs> listeners, let us know your thoughts. I know we've, we've got a few Aussie fans out there. So uh, let us know. Um, but yeah, let, moving uh, across to, to Europe now for... I guess the last, is this now the last clay event, Joel, we've had, yeah, before the, the hard court season? I'm sure you're absolutely thrilled with that because mm. I know how much you dislike <laughs> these random clay events. Um. <laughs> well, the, the surprise about this, look, Kasper Ruud wasn't there. I think I, I think he was in the draw, but maybe dropped out. But yeah. Kasper Ruud wasn't playing this clay European 250. We just had like a million Italian players instead. <laughs> or at least three of them got, well, three of the four semifinalists were, were Italians, two of whom... I have to say, were, were new names uh, for me. Uh, but ultimately, and Italian did, did win. This was Umarg. Uh, so, you know, I guess just over over the, the road, really, for Italian players. Um, Yannick Sinner won, beating Carlos Alcaraz in the final. 6-7, 6-1, um, I was very uh, surprised, I guess, by the, the nature of the scoreline in those last two sets. Mm, I think, yeah. you know, it wasn't the fact that Alcaraz, Alcaraz didn't have any like opportunities to break Sinner was just not letting him break he was uh, a stalwart uh, in in holding his serve in those well in, in the last few sets well the whole match actually and um yeah coming through and this is his second win against Alcaraz in the past month having beaten him at Wimbledon as well so I mean what is it do you think Joel about Sinner's game that Alcaraz is seemingly having a lot of difficulties with at the moment I, th- I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think it's 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 breaking it's breaking his serve, and I think that's what Sinner did so well across sets two and set th- and sets three. And you know this is this rivalry. I think is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out in the future. I think they're having some great matches together, and uh, it, this one was was no different. And you know, Alcaraz, I think, will be disappointed because you know he won that first set. It was very very tight. Won it on a tie break and. He was love 40, I think, on, on Yannick Sinner's serve, one love up early on in that second set. And he had he had those opportunities. But Yannick Sinner, to all his credit, although I think, you know, we spoke about last week how he's sort of, I think, still living in, in Alcaraz's shadow. Maybe less so now after this victory, but certainly I think his mental, you know, his mental strength is one of his, his biggest assets, given he, he was break point down quite a few times in this match quite a few times in that that in that Wimbledon matchup as well and he just did not get broken and he really was in the zone I felt for particularly for sets two and set three and and Alcaraz although I think we've seen better tennis from him you know over the last you know few months or so Sinner was just playing on a, on another level and he was matching Alcaraz you know toe for toe from the back of the court drop shots as well he was just covering the court really 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 strongly and um it was an impressive victory given yeah he came back from a, a set down and and blitzed Alcaraz in the end which again we don't really associate with Alcaraz with with dropping sets so easily so it just shows I think Jacinta was just playing some seriously good tennis that does make me can reconsider whether he you know is ready to kind of maybe break through to kind of you know, being in like a top five conversation as opposed to kind of a, a top 10 conversation, which I feel like we have him in at the moment. Maybe Sinner's going to be his bogeyman because I think mm. in Alcaraz's very young career to date, there's only been, I think, two matches where he hasn't managed to break serve um, over like three sets or more. And that is both times against Yannick Sinner. I think Sinner has held all 33 times this year against Carlos Alcaraz. 
great stat um that one and maybe you know this is this is Alcaraz's like little uh, little conundrum he's going to have to to work out. I mean, Sinner, mm. we know he's very calm and composed, doesn't really give much away like emotionally, which when it comes to saving breakpoint after breakpoint after breakpoint, you know, yes, ideally you wouldn't be getting into that situation where you go breakpoint down so much, but being able to just kind of, you know, compose yourself and save it each time is... Um, you know, obviously an essential skill to have. And I mean, looking at, at Sinner throughout the whole week, you know, he kind of came through fairly comfortably. Um, I, I, there was a semi-final against a uh, Italian um, who I have to say I, I haven't heard of before. Uh, I keep wanting to call him Agamemnon, uh, but it's <laughs> Agamemnon, Agamemnone, uh, probably saying that wrong. Um, and well, we also had a, another Italian Giulio Zeppieri, who uh, Carlos Alcaraz beat in the semis, and that went three sets. But um, I mean, just a note on the Italians. Uh, I think you know they've, they've obviously got such depth in Italian tennis, uh, and I think in the the race, there's there's a whole load of Italians uh, up there, you know, doing really really well. So um, obviously, Sinner yeah. Sinner is leading that cohort along with with Berrettini. But um, I think I was really. They've got nine out of nine of the top. 18 in the next gen race okay so the young like under yeah. 21s yeah okay. are italian wow so i don't know i, I want to I, yeah, what's their secret yeah what is their secret what's their what's their junior setup good like? food um, pasta and pizza <laughs> yeah exactly no but i mean they could host the it feels like they could do a whole next gen italian version um given the strength in, in depth that, that is coming through. And that was all on show, certainly in, in Umag, with um, you know three Italians in the semi-final. But, and, and even Italians we're not really heard of. I would have maybe expected a little bit more from you know Lorenzo Musetti, mm. uh, who did so well that, you know, the week before, went out in the, in the second round to, to Cecchinato. And, and Holgerun as well. Um, you know, he's a, a player who he did so well at the French Open, Kim, but it's not really happened for him much since you know he was the third seed here and lost to Zapata Morales in straight sets so as much as I think he loves the clay I think he'll be a little bit relieved to get onto the hard courts to see if he can have a, a change in fortunes but um yeah for me yeah Sinner Alcaraz great rivalry one to watch for the future and I do think Alcaraz is probably got to a point now where it's he's just sort of realized that I can't just play my brand of tennis against Yannick Sinner and expect to win I, so I need a specific strategy I need to play a strategy for, for Yannick Sinner and I think when they next meet I'm curious to see what differences he brings in um, to his game and I think for me part of that um, part of that conversation is going to need to be about how he you know returns I think the Yannick Sinner serve and make sure that he gets on the front foot in the return games because he's making absolutely zero inroads uh, ultimately into the Sinner return game. And for me, that's, yeah, the biggest kind of thing that he need, he will need to rectify going forward uh, with this rivalry because I'm hoping, and it should be, here to stay for, for year, years and years to come. Yeah, I feel like they could probably meet again quite soon uh, as well over the summer, <laughs> yeah. uh, just given the fact that they're both playing well and everything. And I mean, two two old school uh, Italians, Joel, just before we 
we have a have a short break. Uh, Fabio Fognini and Simone Bolelli they won the doubles, uh, beating Britain's Lloyd Glasspool and his Finnish partner Helio Vara in the final. What was I think perhaps the most interesting about this match was that they had to save six match points uh, in the second set tiebreak, but all in a row, all in a row. Yeah, they were six love down in that tiebreak, and they came wow. through eight six. So that doesn't happen incredible too often, does it? So I mean, good on them. I uh, you know. If you're going to save six match points in a row, I think uh, you kind of deserve a title, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I think they were absolutely, uh, it was absolutely ecstatic for it. I feel like Fabio Fornini's now just transformed into a doubles player as opposed to a singles player. And I get that he's, you know, getting older um, and he, he can, you know, sometimes, you know, pull a, pull a surprise. But certainly he's been making, I think, more waves on the doubles circuit uh, more recently um, this season than on the singles circuit. Is he there? Their uh, Davis Cup um, mm. doubles part. I mean, who would the Italian Davis Cup doubles partnership be? They don't really tend to have that many doubles specialists, but maybe maybe it is Fognini now. <laughs> it gen- yeah, it feels like they're getting to a point where a little bit like, uh, for me, they're a little bit like Canada, you know, in the ATP Cup where... Yes, they have um, they have some you know doubles players, but it felt it was very much rooted in kind of the two singles mm. players, Ojeda Aliassime and, yeah. and Shapovalov. And I, I do wonder if Italy might get to that point with you know some of the the p- talent they've got coming through on the, on the single circuit. I'm thinking like you know Yannick Sinner, of course, but also like uh, you know Musetti as well, and whether that could be the you know the core of their team going forward. But uh, yeah, it's certainly very exciting times for for Italian tennis I think we've known that for for some time and uh yeah it was very pleasing for them to get three semi-finalists out of the four in in Umag. completely separate note but I didn't realize Italy failed to qualify for the the football world cup later this season because mm. I was thinking oh this could be another Italian year if all these Italian <laughs> tennis players are doing well but it won't be uh football wise because they didn't they didn't get there despite being European champions. Mm. But this isn't the, the football podcast. So this is not football <laughs> weekly. Uh, on this note, let's take a quick break now. Uh, we'll be back in the second half looking at uh, all the, the news, Emma Raducanu's uh, latest coaching setup and uh, the return of Venus Williams in Washington, D.C. and looking at all of the other draws as well. So do not go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to Mysterious Player, Joel. Uh, I haven't done one of these in a while, so I hope you're ready, <laughs> along with all our listeners. Very much looking forward to this. As you said, we've not had we've not had a Mysterious Player in, in so long. I, I, I'd like to think in our listeners, we've got some who really, really like the path to courts, and then we've got other listeners who really, really like the Mysterious Player, and I feel like they're like... When is when is the next mysterious player? And uh, lo and behold, here it is. Well, I hope this one is quite mysterious, and it's not like a case of obvious. <laughs> oh, it's not player. too mysterious, is it? <laughs> no, it's finding the right balance. And I, I was thinking, have I done this player before? I don't think I have. So, right <laughs> here goes. Here goes. Okay, clue number one. I was born on the fifteenth of May, two thousand. Oh, okay. 15th of May 2022. So, must, well, current player. Um, that is actually Andy Murray's birthday, but obviously not the same year. But is it? Yeah, okay. 15th of May. Um, I'm glad that wasn't a separate clue. <laughs> um, Holger Rune? 
No, it is not Holgerun. So <laughs> that would have been uh, quite a good guess if so. Okay. Um, second clue, clue number two. I have three career singles titles on the WTA tour. So young female, 22 years old. Um, I'm going to say... God, it's really hard. It's really hard, you know, because on the ATP, it's like that would have been like I'm breaking through, but they could be a player who's been on the tour for, for like yep. three, four years already. Um, I'm gonna say Jessica Pagula. Ooh, <clears throat> it is not Jessica Pagula, but um, yeah, not a bad shout. This might uh, give you a bit more context. Next clue number three: my highest singles ranking is twenty-one which I reached uh, in January 2020. However, I'm currently ranked in the 80s on the tour. Mm. So they're not having their best uh, run no. of form at the moment. I instantly thought about Sophia Kennan, but it's just not going to be Sophia Kennan. Um, and she's been, I think she's been higher than 22. 22 down to 80-odd. God, that is tough. Um um, Amanda Anasimova. I don't think she's as low down as eighty no, odd at the moment, is yeah. she? I, 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 yeah, I got scared and I, I gave an answer, and it was probably the wrong one. No, nope. um, yeah, well, it's not Anasimova, but um, good, 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 good try anyway. <laughs> okay, uh, there's some slightly different clues, I suppose, uh, coming up now. I don't know how much will be relevant for, for you, but uh, you might remember. At the 2019 Australian Open, my mother suffered an eye injury after a champagne bottle that she was holding exploded. Um, she had to have immediate surgery to save her eye. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a memorable clue, but I thought it was interesting when I was like researching so i don't know if you remember or if any of our listeners remember this so, sorry champagne <laughs> bottle sorry champagne bottle cork to the eye um yes my mother well this pe- mysterious player's mother had an eye injury after a champagne bottle that she was holding uh, exploded unexpectedly um surgery was coordinated in part uh, covered by craig tiley of ao tournament director fame this was back in 2019. Oh, <laughs> it's a bit niche, isn't it? <laughs> um, Maybe some of our um, Aussie listeners might remember that one more. They were based over there. Jill Teichman? <clears throat> no, it's not Jill Teichman. Not a bad <sighs> shout. Okay. okay, right. Next clue might be a bit, bit more narrowing it down. I have often been accused by fellow players of... Um, gamesmanship sometimes exaggerating certain things or taking uh taking medical timeouts uh perhaps oh, okay. slightly too frequently right i think i've got it i think i know now that you've now you gave me that clue about um on court shenanigans is it diana yastremska it is. Yes. Well done, Joel. You got it on like the fifth clue. I was, oh, uh, yes. yeah, maybe that was giving it away a bit. I I was, my next clue was going to be that um, 
I had a suspension last season for a, a banned oh, substance. Yes. And then yes. I would have to flee Ukraine earlier in the year, etc. Blah, blah, mm. blah. So, um, yes, I, I mean, that champagne clue was quite rogue, I, I must admit. But I thought it was, you know, I love that. Unique. I mean, that's very niche. But yeah, yeah. I, didn't know, I didn't know that. Yeah. Fortunately, her mother's eye is fine, uh, I okay. think. But uh, yes, well, there we go. So, listeners, I hope you enjoyed playing along with that one. Let us know <laughs> if you managed to get it sooner based on the... Uh, the other stats let let us know okay well moving on we have tennis weekly mailbag time kim and we had an email from holly who asked us this hi joel and kim the change.org petition allow novak djokovic to play at the us open has now gained over forty-five thousand signatures but i would like to know if you set up a petition what would you want to change on the tour oh that's a a great, uh, great question. Just imagine, Kim, you're, you're at your laptop, you want to make a, a petition online and get loads and loads of signatures. What would the title be of your your uh, your petition? I think for me, I'm going to be a bit authoritarian in the sense of I, I would crack <laughs> down on disrespectful behaviour. And I'm specifically talking about people who smash and throw rackets. Okay. Uh, even like sometimes people throw it and it's not sort of super hard but it's still maybe dense the racket or it's it's just not a good look what, like a straight what what are you see so what are you um, changing it from like straight ban or no i would yeah like you're off uh red card <laughs> red card i would say at least a point penalty or or maybe even a game penalty because i think that mm. you, you know it's it, it, there are players who, who never do it and they're you mm. know perfectly polite and there are other ways of channeling their frustration i just don't like it when people start abusing the mm. equipment and court and i think there just needs to be tougher penalties so um i think i would enforce that uh like more often that would be, that would be my petition what about yours i would go and petition and i think a lot of people would be with me and i probably think a lot of people would be against me bring back blue clay bring it back what, so roger federer can win <laughs> yeah rafa hated it he threatened not to play madrid ever again uh, yeah, Roger Federer went and won the tournament. Bring it back, Kim. Look, Federer's not going to be around that much longer. We've got to give him the most opportunities to get, you know, more titles. And I think bringing back Blue Clay, that is the way forward. I mean, they only did that at one tournament. So are you suggesting they maybe make Basel like a Blue Clay <laughs> event or something? Oh, yeah. Blue Clay, Blue Hot. Oh, actually, we already have Blue Hot. Yeah. Blue Grass. What about Blue Grass? Queens. Blue Grass. What? what, what? Well, you know, the branding yeah. is already. Oh, no, the branding was blue. It's not blue anymore. Um, Yeah, I, I, anything blue, I think, would be great. But no, I think Blue Clay, genuinely, I think we have too much red clay we don't have enough green clay. I, I love the the little green clay events that that come up every now and then on on the tour. But um, I genuinely would look at bringing blue bla- blue clay back onto the tour. I know that to to listeners might sound like a very kind of superficial thing, but I genuinely think it is a it, it adds a little bit of a freshness and a bit of a new dynamic uh, to the tour. I know it wouldn't be to everyone's flavor but yeah that is what my petition is going to be on do you think it would get forty-five thousand signatures oh <laughs> mm, i think it would divide a lot of people i think it would maybe get about a hundred <laughs> i don't um... think it's going to be very effective then i'm afraid <laughs> to say joel <laughs> <laughs> i think yours would be a lot more effective i think 
I was just thinking, actually, when you said, like, it doesn't matter how, like, hard they throw it into the ground, I almost, like, envisage some sort of, like, whether a court should have, like, a sensor <laughs> in the ground, and, like, the court changes colour if there's a, a racket throw and they feel, like, the force, and that it goes too high over the, the force, and it therefore kind of automatically you know deduct deducts a point you know how like in, in cricket for example the bales light up if the the ball hits the wicket well <laughs> i wonder if they could get a racket if you throw it down with too much force the the court lights up a different color to denote a point penalty i feel like a lot of tournaments are just going to be like we don't have the budget to put no, like lights in the courts just get the next gen finals to do it it's <laughs> yeah fine. it's fine the force it's all very star wars isn't it uh, <laughs> on that note let's talk about emma raducanu and her coaching setup because i mean this has caused a little bit of controversy um or controversy i should say and that's because she has employed dimitri tersenov um on a trial period so it's just for a short mm. while uh, for the North American Hardcourt Swing US Open where she's obviously defending her title um and because of Tersnov's nationality he's Russian you know there are certain people uh, including a, a Labour MP in the uh, the UK and uh, you know possibly other people some fans may not be happy with this um you know sort of saying oh what's what's Emma doing you know working with a Russian how dare she um blah 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 uh what do you make of this show i mean a on a tennis level what do you make of her teaming up with with tersonov uh who has you know good form as a coach Uh, and b what do you make of the fact that he's russian do you think that that has has anything to do with that it's an interesting one we all know uh radicani's been on it feels like a you know never-ending kind of (laughs) um conveyor belt of of coaches and you know she is trying to you know find the right one and i don't think she should be kind of limiting her scope based on nationalities and all that sort of stuff yes it, it might come with extra extra noise but i think as we've seen recently in in terms of comments i don't think she particularly cares and i think that's the same with this situation i think what's more interesting is tersnov as a coach because you know he's done very very well previously with with contivate remember she went on that crazy indoor streak uh you know last year um that propelled her to you know number two in the world ultimately Tursnoff was very much at the you know the heart of that also with with Sabalenka he 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 did well so I think it's a you know it's a it's a good move in the sense you know to to trial and, and see if they gel together I understand they've already had a week together and they'll be I think uh working together this week as well I think he's already got commitments um for Canada so they won't be working there but um I think you know if you think about Tersonoff and his 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 brand of tennis as a player you know he was a very aggressive um you know very much from the the back of the court looking to assert his authority on the point I think that could help Raducanu um I think that's the you know that's naturally her the game she wants to play and we saw that absolutely in in full flight at the US Open but I don't feel like we've truly seen that since and I always think Kim back to that match at you know at Wimbledon against Caroline Garcia I don't think anyone wanted to really admit it at the time but I think she got hit hit off the court a little bit and I think that surprised quite a few people and you know from that point of view I wonder if if Tersonoff can can help kind of refine that part of a game because I think it's something that Radicani maybe needs to work on a, a, a little bit more so I think there are definitely benefits there and for me I'm not as bothered that that he's Russian I I think there are more kind of pressing issues that matter 
Yes, I I think that's a fair summary. I I think the fact that like politicians are saying, oh, what's she doing? Mm. Uh, like employing a Russian. I mean, that's just get you know get out of it. Like, I mean, this got nothing to do with you. Like, this is her career. If she thinks he's the right man for the job, or at least on a trial period, let her get on with it. I mean, it's it's kind of it's immaterial. You know, it's he's nothing to do with the war. So, like, you know, I, I mean, I I just think the whole um, thing's a bit ridiculous. I mean, the the quote the quote is the Kremlin will portray this as a PR coup and an indication that the UK doesn't really care about the war in Ukraine. So it'll be a real shame if Emma goes ahead with this. I mean, it's pretty, do you, pretty harsh words. Do you really think the Kremlin are going to like care that much about what Emma Raducanu is doing or who she's employing? I mean, I think mm. that's that's a bit bit much. Um, mm. The only thing that may be of sort of more practical uh, reason is the fact that um, apparently Tersonov was sometimes not able to get visas to travel uh with a net contivate uh i guess because of the situation so i assume he's he's okay to to get into the us and that, i assume that they would know that that's okay having just got together now but that that could be if if it's a long term thing something that she has to consider um and i i <laughs> i think uh the article i was reading they said that last year tersonov was asked about emma you know changing her coaching situation quite a lot and he said, oh, um, I, if someone from her team, this is this is his quote, if someone from her team called me now and asked if I wanted to train her, I would tremble with fear because you don't know when you'll be fired. <laughs> so obviously, you know, he had previously thought, oh, this is a bit um, bit much, like the number of coaches she's going through. But he's willing to take it on and uh, he's obviously taken the plunge. And I, I hope it works out yeah. for them. I mean, so. he's he's quite a, col- you know, he's quite a colourful character. I, I always remember he had some great matches with with Tim Hemmer oh, when, yeah. when he was back on the he was back on the tour. But um, yeah, he he, I think he knows the game. It, this is not just an Emma situation. We see this with lots of other players coaching coaching on the tour. It's a it's a ruthless and, and brutal landscape. And you know, th- we're we're talking about this as if like you know this could be you know this is like. Emma's next next big coach but the reality is it could just be two weeks and it didn't work out and we move on so we just we just don't really know but I think at the moment given what we know about Raducanu you know we had an episode with with Mike Dixon uh, from the Daily Mail about you know his book on on Emma and and her appetite for for the game and you know she's always I think willing to kind of trial and test new avenues regardless of if people were going to kind of look look down upon it for example you know Tusnov being from Russia but given that she just has that sort of appetite to to learn I think she just just kind of sees right through that and uh, I do think there is something there that that Tusnov and and Emma could potentially gel over given both their styles I think do sort of go hand in hand with each other and, and the sorts of players as well I think that Tusnov has already coached I think Raducanu can be molded into that sort of vein as well yeah well watch this space let's see what happens over the next six weeks um (laughs) on more positive well i don't know if uh, this is positive news new coach for emma um other positive news ash barty got married the other day uh in a ceremony in queensland so that was nice to see the the pictures doing the rounds on social media marrying her partner gary kissick uh so yeah uh congratulations ash Ash Barty, even. <laughs> um, I love she got she got married to uh, uh, Gary Kissick. They met, I think, at 
met a few years ago now, but he's a trainee professional at Brookwater Golf Club. So you know that golf is not too, it's never too far, is it, from from Ash Barty? You do, you do wonder, like, that feels like a, a relationship that golf is never going to be too far away, is it? She's going to be on the women's PGA before you know it. <laughs> what does a trainee professional mean does that mean he's training to to be a professional golfer or good question because good question sort of weird weird kind of wording like you don't say like oh i'm a trainee tennis player like maybe <laughs> i don't know i'm not a golfing expert listeners let us know what that actually means <laughs> uh, back to the tennis um we've got washington dc uh this week which is exciting atp 500 event that is um and we've also got uh, 250 there for the for the women as well. Um, so yeah, a mixed event, which is which is great. Uh, we've got WTA 500 in San Jose, and we've also got Los Cabos. Los Cabos for the men, 250. Which incidentally, if you're comparing the two men's events, Los Cabos has the the higher the higher the higher names would you say? Or it's got Daniel Medvedev mm. at, at the very least, which is where he's making his debut after the, his. It's Wimbledon ban. DC's a 500 without a top five male player. Andre Rublev is the top seed there, mm. whereas Daniel Medvedev is number one seed. A lot of noise going to be, you know, following him given you know, he wasn't able to play Wimbledon. <laughs> All his Instagram posts were basically him just relaxing where he was on a boat. Watching the watching F1. TV, <laughs> watching the Formula One, exactly. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see how he um, you know, comes back onto the tour. I would imagine it will be pretty seamless. But Kim, I-, I said to you before the podcast, him playing Los Cabos, that to me sounds like he got a big, big, big big appearance fee uh to play there um and not in the the 500 in dc because um yeah he's uh he's the top seed there cam nori is the reigning champion he's the third seed got ozia aliasim uh kekmanovic as well but yeah it's so interesting choice i think to go down to mexico to start to start your hardcore swing yeah and i think this is where cam won his first title last year was, was mm. this the, the first one in which case you know this is kind of a remarkable 12 months he's had Feliciano Lopez also there on a wild card <laughs> that could be another petition idea actually Feliciano what, more Lopez wild cards <laughs> yeah. more wild cards for Feliciano Kim he gets too many already well okay he should give some to Fernando Vidasco then they could share them <laughs> okay I can I can agree with you on that <laughs> um going back to the uh ATP 500 uh I think Kyle Edmund is back on court he's actually playing at the moment uh on uh at the city open in dc or he may have just no, he's won he's, he's won. won he's just won oh, joy yeah. well done yeah he was a breakdown in that second set but he managed to clutch it in the tie break 10-8 so he is through so that's very very good for him he's into the the round of of 32 i mean andy murray dan evans jack draper uh is also there he's got stefan kozlov on a wild card in first round so a lot of british interest um and yeah, the 250 as well is not, not a bad draw for a WTA 250. We've got Simona Hallett there. She also won today. Emma Raducanu is the second seed with Jesse Pagula as the top seed. Now, Kim, I was a bit thankful because Bushkova was meant to be Raducanu's opponent um, in the first round. But because she did so well uh, last week, um, you know, winning in the Czech Republic, uh, she has decided to drop out. So... Emma's got a qualifier, which seems on paper a little bit easier. So uh, that um, I'm hoping 
is quite a nice gentle opener before potentially who knows could face Sophia Kennan who's on a wild card just coming back onto the tour after a few months uh what feels like in hibernation that could potentially be a second round match yeah that would be uh that'd be cool Venus Williams also got a wild card mm. um she's in the draw Harriet Dart's there um I think she could have a pretty decent few matches potentially and Raducanu's playing doubles as well with with Clara Torsen, which that uh, has not she's not done that in her professional career so far. So nice to see that she's not just thinking about who you know who's going to be my next coach to kind of add more thinking and, and knowledge to her game. I, I like that that she's moved also into the the doubles arena to get more experience from a, a different sort of angle. Maybe that's a Tursen of uh, suggestion mm. there, instant effect maybe. Um, yeah. And then San Jose, which is a 500 for the women. Zachary and Bedosa are the top two seeds there. So uh, we will see who uh, mm. comes through that one. I mean, who else have we got at that one? Naomi Saka's got Ching-Wen Zheng, which could be quite a fun first round match. Shelby Rogers also got Bianca Andrescu and Rybakina. Yeah. Rybakina Kasatkina could be quite a fun yeah. first round match as well. So quite a quite an interesting draw there i see uh i see balter's got pishkova again they what mm, they're yes. always playing each other <laughs> every tournament these days yeah, i wonder if pishkova will get her own back from uh from wimbledon. from wimbledon yeah quite possibly uh yeah we'll have to see how everyone is doing post wimbledon a couple of those players haven't played since so yeah rybakina how will she get on as the new wimbledon champion exciting times Yes, it's very, very exciting because we are now finally looking forward to the American hardcourt swing in the build-up to the US Open. So it's all very, very exciting and uh, we're going to be keeping tabs on it as always at Tennis Weekly HQ. And I hope you can join us for our next catch-up next week as we roll on towards Flushing Meadow. In the meantime, we are going to be launching our next Tennis Weekly Meets, which will be going out later this week. I think we'll be putting it up on Thursday or Friday. We are going to be in conversation with the Lawn Tennis Association, so the sports national governing body for tennis in the UK. They are going to be talking to us about participation in tennis in the UK at a grassroots level. So we've already recorded it. It was a very, very interesting and fascinating conversation so make sure you look out for that one but we will be back next monday for a latest tour catch up so remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on to stay up to date on all the action from the atp and wta tours we're on apple Podcasts, spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you like what you're hearing then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on apple Podcasts or spotify and you can follow us on social media we are on facebook instagram and twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Tell all your friends about us. Let us know your thoughts, comments, feedback, any questions for our mailbag as well. And you, if you prefer, you can do that via email and contact us on there, tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch up next Monday. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon.